We are back. It is the Brolytically Correct Podcast. I'm Mike. Tommy's on the other end. It is our post-Independence Day podcast episode. And July 4th, as we all know, marked the day that Donald Trump and Russia stole this country back from the liberal cucks. Right? That's that's what happened July 4th? Yep, that's what the oh, okay. 4th of July celebrates. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you are new to this podcast, that was complete sarcasm. Uh, not Big a sarc- huge fan of the president, uh, so don't don't get it twisted. But yeah, Fourth of July has come and gone. We're on the other side of it. Did you get your fill of barbecue, fireworks, booze in America, Tommy? Uh, two out of three of those, I think. Uh, it was a very very tame Fourth of July for myself. Where I am in life right now, I'm enjoying the finer things, which is mostly just doing nothing these days. And I feel like that's when I'm at my best is staying out of trouble. And I went down to my brother's house, had a nice little relaxing day at the beach, no booze, plenty of barbecue, just hanging out, having a good time, good people, good smiles, good laughs. And I couldn't have been happier. I did a little fireworks show around, went, watched a little fireworks show, all legal, by the way, if anyone was wondering, 9 p.m. in bed by 9.30. Very Very cool. Very legal. Yes. Um... Yeah, couldn't have been happier with it. Woke up great on the 5th of July, which I can't always have said that in the past. So uh, overall, uh, where I am in life right now, it was it was the perfect 4th of July for myself. How was your 4th of July? I know you have mixed feelings regarding the day itself and, and some misrepresentations of, of the day. So how was yours? My 4th of July was fantastic. I was on shift, um, so I got to Nothing celebrate more American it. than that. Yeah, nothing more American than that. Got to celebrate it with my crew, and they made it special, man. It was my first real big holiday on shift, and I'm still a probationary firefighter, but they made it made it special for me, made it enjoyable for me. Um, participated in some smash ball. I don't know if you're familiar. Very with smash familiar. Ball. Oh, yeah, that's a big deal. Participated in some smash ball, had a nice waffle breakfast prepared mm. by our resident chef at the station. Uh, got out in the community, show, showed our faces a little bit, did a little face-to-face with the community. Um, people love firefighters on the 4th. I don't know when uh, America, patriotism, and firefighters got associated together, but I'm down with it. A uh, lot of love from the community and had a nice uh, ribeye dinner and had some good calls. So just Excellent. overall, great day. That sounds great fantastic. Day. Got to help out the community, got to put some smiles on some kid faces, got to eat good. Felt Flew the, the flag the off love. the back of the engine, oh. just all sorts of America goodness going on. And, you know, the, the kind that I fully endorse. So Good. It's Glad good. to hear it. It's good. But, yeah, post-4th of July, <clears throat> living with the uh, the neighborhood that I'm living in, uh, they love their fireworks, man. They yeah. love their fireworks, and they like to shoot them off days after 4th of July hmm. at 11.30 at night, which is past my bedtime. You sure um, those are fireworks? <laughs> Positive, which, by the way, I got a I got a concealed carry uh, permit oh. and, and weapon the other oh. day. Not related, but hmm. uh, did Putting that. two and two together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they are fireworks, and it's interesting because uh, I live in an area of town that has a mixed demographic of people, which I like. It, 
you know, there's it's all sorts up here. You know, you have people, you have doctors, you have nurses, you have um, construction workers, you have Taco Time employees, you have everything. Everything is just mixed into this one neighborhood. We're a bit of a melting pot up here, and uh, I enjoy it. And it, but it's interesting to learn um, just differences between people and what they find socially acceptable. And uh, for me, shooting off fireworks at 1130 at night past <laughs> 4th of July is not, not socially acceptable. Not on your list of to-do items. It was it, when it's legal within the city limits. And, right. uh, you know, you have a lot of buildings. They're very close together. Yes. And it creates fire danger. And yeah. A, a nuisance to those who have to get up and then work. It's amazing how little people respect the law. Uh, in terms of illegal fireworks i i feel like it's nobody abides by that in, in like in any sense of the term and i'm not like some person who's all about abiding by the rules I and mean, i think you should but like i mean it's it was amazing seeing los angeles on the fourth of july when it's clearly stated no fireworks and yet the entire city was erupting in fireworks and some of them were legal they're you know they get the permit they're big events and they are approved, but the majority of them, not so much. Interesting. Very interesting. And I, I think a lot of people just underestimate the risk um, of what could happen if that right. was wrong. Definitely. And the, what they could be held liable for. So. And I think the more the booze is flowing, the more adventurous, more ambitious people get with their fireworks usage. And then you get a Jason Pierre Paul situation. Spirals out of control <laughs> real quick. And there's no do overs <laughs> with fireworks. Yeah, no mulligans. No, no mulligans. No, no fireworks. fireworks. Fireworks don't have feelings. There are a cruel, unforgiving mistress. That's, they are. That's for sure. They are. But yeah, aside from that, good fourth. Got through it, and now we're moving past it. Moving past forward. It, moving onward. Big, big moves in the politically correct. Big uh, moves in the politically correct landscape. Tommy over there. Uh, finally is gainfully employed, I guess, now, right? Uh, been gainfully employed. Let's set the record straight on that. <laughs> been gainfully employed. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but yeah, there may be some moves in the making, moving back up to the Great Pacific Northwest in the near future. Um, and I'm looking forward to that and all that will bring for me and my family. And maybe be able to start doing this podcast in person again. So a lot of, lot of good things, a lot of hard work is paying off and waiting for the opportune moment to capitalize on some things so i'm pretty excited about uh what the what the future holds at this moment very excited for you well deserved and super glad to have you back up in the great state of washington appreciate it i'm excited should be fun it's poetic you know fourth of july george washington coming back to washington Mm. the state that is his namesake it's it's beautiful We're yeah full circle it's, it's funny how life works out sometimes you don't fully understand it and then like oh that's why this happened that's why that didn't happen it's funny got to kind of trust the process yep yep very funny and yeah. some people are born with hates so you know yeah well that works part's not always so funny but <laughs> if you want to take it there pe- sure so some people might think uh, Tommy's coming up here because he got a new job, uh, participating in the career that he's he's wanted to for quite a while, and others might say he's a coward that's running from the Quakes in Cali. Uh, Which one I, is it? 
<laughs> well, I'm not going to lie. These earthquakes are scaring me pretty good. I'm not sure if you've been in an earthquake, felt an earthquake before. I'm sure some of our listeners have been. It's pretty unsettling, and that's kind of the only way I can describe it. It's You just feel powerless. And I know every, a lot, the majority of our country has their own special natural disasters they deal with. And out here, earthquakes are not a good time. Don't recommend being in earthquakes. And the two that we recently felt, I think it was a six point something and a seven point one. Fortunately, they were not in a very populated area. Obviously, hope everyone was okay in where the epicenter was. But if that seven point one had hit in a more populated area, Los Angeles, Vegas, Kern County area, uh, it was. It didn't feel good, and makes you like really focus on do i have an emergency plan like where is everything located stuff like that and yeah it was kind of an eye-opener because i didn't feel prepared yeah insane um and it was 6.4 on the fourth uh 7.1 on the fifth and uh, yeah it was friday night yeah and yeah. so powerful earthquakes epicenter was Ridge 10 Crest. miles northeast of Ridgecrest, California, kind of the Big Bear area, if you're familiar with that. Um, yeah, insane and very scary. Those quakes were powerful. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Richter scale and how that works, it, for each point on the scale is a tenfold increase in intensity of those earthquakes. And 7.1 is nothing to scoff at. And like you're saying, if... Um, if that had taken place in a more populous area, uh, could have seen a lot of devastation, a lot of power outages, water um, shortages, panic, mass chaos. Who knows? You know, it just it all depends. But the six um, 6.4, that's in the strong category. And uh, according to the great Wikipedia, Damage to a moderate number of well-built structures in populated areas. Um, Earthquake-resistant structures survive with slight to moderate damage. Poorly designed structures receive moderate to severe damage. Felt and wider areas up to hundreds of miles, kilometers from the epicenter. And that's uh, that's definitely true because people in Vegas, you know, I've got people back there and they were, they were letting me know about it and letting uh, my wife know about it. And pretty scared. And then the 7.0 to 7.9, 10 times stronger. Uh in the 6 to 6.9 and it causes damage to most buildings uh, some partially or completely collapse or re- receive severe damage so as you're saying we're real lucky that wasn't centered in LA or Vegas because would have been no bueno no not good at all and I guess the takeaway is I mean it's not something you can control but what you can control is making sure you've got the emergency goods you've got an escape plan you've got kind of all that stuff lined up ready to go at a moment's notice because when that thing hits and hopefully we don't have anything like that in the near future but if it does you got to have a plan so i hope i hope people are are focusing on that definitely and and some people were so felt so helpless and didn't know what to do that they took their mattresses outside and were sleeping outside their houses because they were scared if they stayed inside their house and the earthquake went off they'd collapse yeah i believe it crazy 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 um hopefully that's that's that and we don't get more but who knows there's lots of major fault lines uh running through southern cali so yeah there are and um, 
like I said, so most parts of the country. my favorite part. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, every part of the country has their own little natural disaster thing that i got to be aware of. But earthquakes, not, not a good time. Sorry, last tidbit on that. Nah, you're good. And I think it's so unlike anything else that we have. Hurricanes, you can kindly draw. You can kind of draw parallels to other storms and stuff like that. But earthquakes are just something that's so foreign, especially for, for the first time of experiencing it. That yeah. it's just terrifying. You, you have no context to place it in. Yeah, it's hard to describe the feeling. And on to my favorite part of Fourth of July. Did you happen to see our Commander-in-Chief's speech on the 4th of July? I didn't watch his speech. I, from a distance, observed the quote-unquote parade and kind of just was ignorance is bliss on the whole thing. But if uh, if you have something to say on it, I would love to hear your opinion and, and how our Commander-in-Chief represented our great nation on the 4th of July. Yeah, and he represented our great nation as he has for the rest <laughs> of his presidency, pretty much. Yeah. Um, embarrassing, to say the least. Now, I'm no expert, but I believe that... Tommy, what was your major in college? History, Bachelor of Arts, no big deal. History, there we go, history major. Excellent, excellent that I have you here, an expert on this subject, to yep. have you fact-check the president's yep. speech here. So, during his speech, he he may have had some historical inaccuracies. Ah, um, I love these. Are you are you aware of these? Are you not? No, aware? this is this okay. is uh, right off the cuff. So I'm excited to hear what the inaccuracies were. He's not he's not foreign to historical inaccuracies and rewriting history. Definitely not. And some of them were more egregious than others. Um, he called Alexander Graham Bell, Alexander Gray Bell. Um, oh. Freudian slip. He called he called uh, Fort McHenry from the War of 1812. Fort McHenry. Oh, um, close. Which, you know, clo- <laughs> close enough. <laughs> but the uh, the most egregious offenders were, well, first he said the fort, that... Um, the Battle of Fort McHenry took place in the Revolutionary War when it took place in the War of 1812. One same one same opponent, up. though, right? <laughs> true, true. Different century. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do sometimes get, like, fight rematches mixed up, so <laughs> yeah. maybe that's exclu- excusable. Like, but is this excusable? Now, hmm. to the best of my knowledge, Tommy, were there any airports in the Revolutionary War? Airports, airports, airports. Um, could the mm, could the Potomac be considered an airport? <laughs> I, d- I don't think so. Um, no. So, so our president said that during the Revolutionary War, the American um, soldiers took over the airports. Um, repeat that again, please. <laughs> So in saying, you know, talking about the great the great achievements of the soldiers of the Revolutionary War that fought on our side, obviously, because mm-hmm. the other ones are, you know, no good. He said that they took over the airports. <laughs> Was he referring to the Battle of Iwo Jima when we secured the airfields? <laughs> Thus, 
ta- eliminating the Japanese's control of the skies? <laughs> I don't think so. Must have there been. was no mention of the Japanese. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, very interesting. Uh, yeah, who writes he, those? He blamed it on the teleprompter going out. Yeah. And so huh. he, he was freestyling once the <laughs> teleprompter went out. <laughs> Man, that's pretty good. You don't hear that all the time. You hear like mispronunciations and maybe getting the years wrong, but technology that wasn't even in, around, that's a pretty good error. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... I will. The airplane was like 1903? Yeah, somewhere in North Carolina. Some brothers yeah, did something. Yeah, Orville. Not to yeah. be confused with Orville Redenbacher, but Orville no, Wright. not to be confused. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, just hmm. a little bit off, um, a little bit off there on his dates and events. Interesting, interesting that well, that's where he went to on the freestyle once he lost the teleprompter, well, because you know most they, people would have played it safe, and he he went he went for it. He started went for it on that one. Talking about our defeat of the Royal Air Force, which wasn't around but was around. <laughs> Not so royal anymore, huh? Yeah, so just interesting. Yeah. Um, he, also, another interesting thing during his speech was he encouraged military service, which is funny since he was allegedly a draft dodger who may or may not have exaggerated his claims of bone spurs. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. 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 So, yeah, great, great speech by our <laughs> commander in chief on the 4th. Uh, really represented our nation well and portrayed us in a, a good light just outlining american exceptionalism right there so fantastic job well done i look forward to the next one <laughs> oh, moving man. on you, to other yeah, things that please. uh portray our country in a great light mm. and are tied to historical events uh, the border detention centers have been receiving a lot of publicity lately. And that's because they got compared historically to concentration camps. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts Did on our, that as a historian? Did our... Uh, who made that? Was that AOC? Did she, AOC? Uh, yeah, I, saw, I think I saw her comment. Well, that's a very strong comparison. Is it totally factually inaccurate? Well, let's break it down. What happened inside of extermination camps? A group of people of an ethnic background inside of barbed wire. Some survived, some didn't. And what are these current detention centers from a very basic standpoint consist of borders barbed wire guards and people are dying so from that extent yeah i guess the comparison can be made are people dying at the rates that they were dying in polish concentration camps no but does that make it any better no it's it's a strong statement and i think it it i think 
if nothing else, it gets people's attention and directs more focus on these detention centers and the conversation around them. Definitely. And even though it may be a bit hyperbolic, the, the way I would describe it is they're not concentration camps, but they're not not concentration camps. Like, <laughs> would it be closer to say they're like internment camps? Yeah, internment camps don't have the mm-hmm. same. I mean, obviously, I definitely th- a black eye on American history. I think you n- could draw parallels to that to but, to the but not internment of Japanese Americans during World War Two and and George Takei, who um, Star Trek, Mister Zulu question mark i'm not a big star trek guy but anyway uh the actor george takei who was a um a resident doesn't seem like the right word um uh, can you say who's an interned in these internment camps yes an internment camp survivor um he he said that the comparison is accurate so yeah it's it's a bleak situation the conditions are terrible for the past several months, they've housed over 2,000 children in these camps. These children have been subject to conditions which just are not safe or sanitary. Uh, not enough food, no showering, no toothbrushes, no soap, overcrowded. There's been lice outbreaks, flu outbreaks. Uh, for the lice outbreak, they gave the children two combs to share, to share between them. Um, That's not one how you of the lice. No, not at all. Uh, one of the combs got lost, so the guards then took away their blankets and mats, and they weren't allowed to sleep on the beds. So they were made to sleep on the concrete floors without blankets or mats because they lost this comb. Um, children, young young children. Um, in addition to that, there are extreme cold temperatures. The lights are on 24 hours a day in these detention centers. There are kids wetting their pants because they're so young that they're not potty trained. There's no diapers for them. They're sitting in soiled uh, clothing for extended periods of time. Just just abhorrent condi- conditions um, for a country that's supposed to be the world leader um, in how we treat I guess prisoners in our own, in our country that are coming from other countries, and uh, Holly Cooper, who is the co-director of the UC Davis Immigration Center um, Law Clinic, she stated, "In my 22 years of doing visits with children in detention, I have never heard of this level of inhumanity." Strong work. Strong. It's a problem. Work. Yeah, it's this is a problem that. I feel like needs to get more attention and needs more resources instead of having a parade in Washington, D.C. on the 4th of July, flexing our military might, which has never been questioned by anybody. Maybe more time and energy resources could be devoted to this situation. But what do I know? I agree. And the way I've heard it portrayed in the media is that... People aren't really being allowed into these detention centers, and that's not just um, any, any random person off the street, but aid workers, um, people who are trying to help the situation with no ulterior yeah, that's what motives. Dic- no, that's what yeah, dictators do in third world countries. 
I was going to say, like, when the American Red Cross, try, or not the American Red Cross, when the Red Cross or other agencies like that, that Doctors Without Borders aren't allowed inside of places to help people, that's when you know shit's really messed up. Agreed. Agreed. And I think as a nation, we have to take a look at the situation and be honest with ourselves about what it means about our current political process, our current political leaders, and and just how we view humans who are not quote-unquote American um, and how we treat them. Yeah, I think ignorance is bliss for a lot of people. They just want to pretend like it's not happening. It's not something that's their country's dealing with, but it is. It's on our doorstep. It's part of our our nation's obligation right now and i think we're failing on a lot of fronts there do i have a solution i don't have all the solutions should i be criticizing i don't know maybe i think it's my right as an american to do so and there's people in office that have sworn an oath to handle these situations in much more professional manners than a lot than a lot of people are doing right now absolutely and i was listening to the Daily, which had a podcast on this and about the legal proceedings that are going on in regards to this. And Safe and Sanitary is one of the, I guess, legal legal sticking points in regards to these detention centers. And they were debating in a court of law, you know, whether or not these conditions were safe and sanitary. And the the lawyer who's representing the United States government arguing on behalf of the United States government in regards to these detention centers was saying that you don't necessarily need soap or toothbrushes in order for it to be safe and sanitary. And the judge was like, you're telling me the judge who was also <laughs> a, a um, survivor of the Japanese internment camps post world war two or during world war two. Oh, wow. Uh, and, he said, you're telling me that not having soap or toothbrushes for several days at a time and not being able to wash yourself and cleanse yourself, even after using the restroom multiple times, that determined safe and sanitary? You, you like, basically just said, you honestly think that? And, and the lawyer representing the government said, well, in some situations, I don't necessarily believe that you do need soap to be safe and sanitary it's just it's ridiculous it's out of control it has these detention centers have been used as a political chess piece in order to get legislation passed um they they got a bill through which provided a lot of funding to ice and so i think part of that was using these detention centers to say oh, well, if we get this funding bill passed for ICE, then we can start providing these children with the basic necessities they need to be safe and sanitary. And it's just despicable. It's disgusting that we're using human beings and their lives, especially the lives of children, as chess pieces in our political games. It's disgusting. It's sickening. And something needs to be done about it. How we get that done contact your congressperson your senator you know let them know that this issue is important to you and that you know if they're not doing the things that they can do from their level then that'll affect how you vote 
in the upcoming elections. Aside from that, I don't know what we can do. Because like I said, they're not really letting these aid groups in. They're not letting, you know, people send supplies. It's not like there's, it's not like there's a shortage of people out there who are trying to send soap to these kids. That's not the case. The case is that they're not letting these supplies into these detention centers. Now, that is being done intentionally, specifically, and for a purpose. I'll, I'll leave it up to you to draw the conclusions on what that purpose is, but I think it's pretty easy to make those connections. Well said. Yeah, I don't have anything much to add. I think you said it all right there. Yeah. The the only other point I want to bring up is my wife had an argument with one of her family members, argument, discussion, whatever you want to phrase it as. I, I feel like argument has gotten the wrong connotation. Like arguments are good, can be good things. They're always viewed as a, in a negative light, but I think they can be good things as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. So she got into the discussion and basically this family member was stating you know they shouldn't have done that it's illegal they shouldn't bring them over here like they should just try to do it the right way they should wait all this stuff and my wife made the argument well when they are beheading you know politicians in your town when people are dying um in these violent shootouts between cartel members and whoever else or between you know two different cartels when they are taking young children and basically making them child soldiers in these cartels indoctrinating them into these cartels when they are selling people into sex trafficking all that stuff what would you do would you wait would you try to just try to wait it out sit there in wherever you are in mexico and just try to try to weather the storm or would you risk everything? Would you put it all on the line and do anything you can to remove yourself and your small children from that situation? Um, the family member didn't really have an answer for that. Yeah. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Something like that. Something like that. Something. Yep, something like that. Anyway. Border detention centers, there we go. Keeping it bright, keeping it bright. And we're just going to carry on with the brightness. Um, we have spoken about this situation before on this podcast. It is another situation that's very disheartening and, and kind of darker. But it's something we have to talk about and something that um, we've gotten updates to, and that is the trial of Chief Edward Gallagher. Tommy, what have you heard on this? All right, so we have covered Chief Gallagher in the past on this podcast. If you're not familiar, Chief Gallagher, Navy SEAL, who was charged with war crimes for uh, killing an ISIS fighter who was a prisoner of war, and his own teammates ended up actually going to the media about him. He had done other things as well, allegedly, and the verdict came down recently. Uh, Chief Gallagher has been exonerated he is innocent man walking free i believe he is demoted and i saw that one of his fellow navy seals ended up it seems like maybe taking the blame for him and saying that he's the one who actually killed this isis fighter this prisoner of war and so he's walking free 
I, w- I don't know all the details. Obviously, I wasn't there, so I don't. It's just my own opinion, but it seemed like there was a lot working against Chief Gallagher. The the, the judge saw otherwise, and and he's free now. He's on the street, or he's he's back. So uh, I'm not sure where we go from here. I I think I read that he has been demoted. Um, but that's it, it's just it was very obviously like you said a very dark a dark trial a dark news story for the United States military and a very very darkly intriguing story overall your thoughts oh i want to be clear that chief gallagher was found innocent in a court of law a military court of law, court of military justice, uniform court, court of military justice, UCMJ, whatever. Um, anyway, he was found innocent during the trial process. That doesn't necessarily tell us the extent of Chief Gallagher's role in these actions and what he actually did. And if you look at some of the details of the trial... I have questions. Certainly, yeah, it's not like it's not like I came away from reading the details of the trial and and what went down, and I was like, oh, this was just a, a cut and dried case of he's innocent and he didn't do these things that that were said. And so I'll just go into some of those details here a little bit. You're talking about one of the individuals and their testimony changing. That was Special Operator First Class Corey Scott. And his testimony changed remarkably from what he told an investigators pre-trial. Scott kind of took the the responsibility of killing the captive, and he said it was so that the Iraqi security forces would not torture the captive later. It was kind of giving him a humane death, putting him out of his out of his misery, and having him avoid prolonged torture and death down the road. Whether or not that's true, who knows. But he said he covered the breathing tube and basically suffocated the individual. He also changed his testimony on Chief Gallagher stabbing this captive. However, he didn't change his testimony in regards to whether or not Chief Gallagher stabbed the captive. Chief Gallagher stabbed the captive in both of his testimonies. It was just the location in which he placed the knife. Hmm. So pre-trial, Special Operator First Class Corey Scott said Chief Gallagher had stabbed the captive in the throat, causing his death. During the trial, he said it was below the collarbone, which wasn't fatal. That doesn't change the fact that Chief Gallagher came up to an unarmed prisoner of war who was actively trying to die from injuries that they had sustained and stabbed them interesting interesting to me i have you seen what the jury consisted of i'm reading it right now no i haven't i'd like to know the jury was five marines a member of the SEALs and a Navy officer, 
nearly all of them with combat experience. Is that the most fair jury to have? Well, see, and this is a military court. So it's it's a military court. It is made up of military members, and usually it's made up of um, members within the, the same branch or branches that operate pretty closely with you. It's not, and I don't know if it's a perfect way to try um, crimes committed by members in our military. And there's definitely a lot of inherent... Uh, bias built into those jury members but i think that's not to be too cynical but it is being cynical um that's that's in my opinion by design it and we what we touched upon in the last podcast the last time we were talking about chief gallagher was whether he did this or not i think the my kind of bigger takeaway was that this was his eighth deployment and that's a lot of combat for one individual to have over the span of a career and he i think that changes anybody and maybe your decision making is compromised at that point because i can't imagine the amount of loss and violence terror that encompasses that type of military career so I don't necessarily think that Chief Gallagher is a bad person, was a bad person. I think that amount of military combat would change anybody and lead people to make decisions that they ordinarily would not make. It's it's insane if you think about it. That's your entire adult life spent fighting a war. Agreed. It's just madness. Madness, madness, madness. And regardless of the circumstances uh, surrounding the transformation of that individual, um, you have to ensure that that individual won't be able to harm others in the future and won't be able to, won't be put in a position where they'll make those decisions in the future. And unfortunately, in the case of Chief Gallagher, you know, if these allegations are true, he is going to be in a position to make those decisions in the future. He might even get combat deployed again. Um, and he'll be training people, the the new generations, the up-and-coming generations of SEALs. And if he truly does have a warped uh, paradigm, he will be imparting that warped paradigm onto future generations. And, and just to... Not to harp on the innocence or guilt, but to to just highlight the details of the case and put everything out there. In addition to um, the testimony of first class uh, special operator first class Corey Scott, special warfare operator Chief Craig Miller uh, testified and said Chief Gallagher stabbed that individual. Um, thus, they both they both said that he stabbed the individual. Nobody's saying that he didn't stab the individual in their testimony they are saying he stabbed them it's just what is disputed is the lethality of that (laughs) knife in addition in addition to that um the forensic pathologist you know that they brought up on the stand to testify said well i can't really comment on this because there's no body for me to autopsy in addition to that there were text text messages obtained um, from Chief Gallagher that were sent to other members and he sent the picture 
of the body and the enlistment ceremony on which he performed uh, with that body in the background. Uh, he sent that picture to another member and said, good story behind this. Got him with my hunting knife in the text message. Um, and another text message to the, these people, individuals who expressed their concerns. He said, I thought everyone would be cool with it. Next time, I'll do it where you can't see. Yikes. So, yes, Chief Gallagher was found innocent of, of murder. Of something. <laughs> of what? Of law. <laughs> Man. So, do they think that these, uh, however many seals it was that came forward, are all just part of some grand scheme to get back at Gallagher for something? I don't understand that that part of it yes they do um and it had been said i believe that they were mad at him for stealing their snacks <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's not that's not a joke that's uh that's unfortunately yeah, not a joke that's, that's what quite, they're going quite with. the vendetta um, for a bag of chips see. yep steal the chief's lawyers said that the men were bitter, and this is from the New York Times, uh, their article, Navy SEAL Trial Verdict. Um, the chief's lawyers said the men were bitter because their chief was stealing snacks from them, needlessly exposing them to fire, and then calling them cowards when they questioned his tactics. Yeah, I don't believe all that, but somebody does. Yeah, so... There you go. What do we um, learn from this story? What do we take away? Um. Well, just one more thing. Yeah. Other details brought out trial cast unfavorable light on the elite SEALs. According to testimony, Chief Gallagher's platoon built a rooftop bar at their compound and had empty beer cans rolling around in their trucks. A lieutenant made a video montage for the platoon set to music of enemy corpses from the deployment number of SEALs and Marines besides Chris Gall or Chief Gallagher took photos with the dead ISIS fighter, and one SEAL mistook a car loaded with women and children in Mosul for ISIS fighters and flew a hand-launched explosive drone known as Switchblade into the vehicle, killing them all. Um, obviously, that uh, paragraph there starts out... Um, with the least egregious of the offenses, and then slowly moves Des into descent more into chaos. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. I think you can learn from this is that there are no humans that are beyond reproach. There are no humans, uh, just based strictly on their their group, the uh, the reputation of that group the connotations that we have with that group there are no humans that are beyond questioning and anybody is capable of any sort of actions and you just have to be realistic with yourself about that I think yeah just because somebody is a, a Navy SEAL a priest a politician, a doctor. It doesn't necessarily make them a good person. Oh. 
Well said. Any other happy stories? Happy stories, happy stories, happy stories. Jeff Bezos got divorced. That's finalized. (laughs) His wife's walking away with a pretty penny, right? Like a cool four percent of Amazon stock valued at thirty eight billion dollars. Oh, uh, the 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 happy part of the story is Mackenzie Bezos has pledged to give fifty percent of it to charity. There you go, happy stories. Boom boom. So we do a politically correct happiness. Just doing good things, <laughs> Mackenzie Bezos. Good good for her. Yeah, you that know, is good. She's now left with a paltry seventeen billion dollars. Um, <laughs> That'll buy some land. Yeah, so she'll just have to be slumming it, slumming it for yeah. a little while. Um, you know, is what it is, but good for her for donating that. That's huge. I mean, I don't know the impact of that, but I'm sure charities can do a lot of of good stuff with Nine. $17 yeah. billion. Dollars. Who, or wait, 17? Is that no, all to one? 19. 19. Is that all to one organization or spread out? How does that work? Who can take in that amount of uh, money? I don't know the exact details of yeah. that, but um, Good for her. she's she's doing it in an organization that is uh, that includes the Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. Mm. So. Oh yeah, they all took that pledge together, I think. Yep, and she's she's doing that as well. Good. So that is a happy st- well divorce, but other than that, yeah. it's good. Yeah, definitely. Huh. Let's get a little less serious, a little more wacky. Move away from these. Uh, we got to knock them out early, though. Sol- yeah, gotta solemn do it. top. Yeah. yeah, power through. Yeah. Power through. Got to do it. And let's get into Bob Lazar. Oh, man. <laughs> I am 100% on the Bob Lazar train, and I cannot be convinced otherwise at this point. <laughs> I've gone down so many loopholes that I'm. my search history is embarrassing. Fill us in. Well, to be honest, I didn't really know about Bob Lazar until his recent appearance on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. So I'd, I'd never really been an alien guy. kind of always laughed at the alien people. just thought they were kooks out in the middle of nowhere. And I feel so bad for ever feeling that way because I'm 100% alien guy now. Tommy alien. Tommy UFO watcher. I want to go. I want to go on a road trip to weird places in Nevada, Roswell, New Mexico. I want to eat at Alien Jerky on the 15 out to Vegas. There's, it's not a whole lot, whole lot you could tell me about aliens right now that I wouldn't believe, other than that they don't exist. Because I'm 100%. Not only do they exist, we have 11 of their aircraft somewhere built into the hillside of a Nevada wasteland mountain. Correct me when I'm wrong. <laughs> Stop me when I lie. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Can't determine. Can't. You know, can't say for sure either way. Bob Lazar uh, went on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. He claims that he was a physicist working at Los Alamos. Um, then got recruited over to. We'll S- just refer to it. S four. Yeah, go ahead. S four, but. Basically, the Area 51 kind of compound. There's several different compounds over there, and this is just a specific section of that out by Groom Lake. Mm-hmm. Groom Lake. Yeah. And, uh, you know, believes that after he came public, they erased his education records at MIT and Caltech. Harvard? Caltech. Caltech. That's mm-hmm. what it was. Yep. MIT and Caltech. 
there is I haven't seen it because I haven't done the research, but there's allegedly a a um, newspaper article with him um, saying stating that he's a physicist at Los Alamos. Um, he was in the directory at Los Alamos. Yeah, and, and there was a newspaper article oh, okay. as well. Yeah, because if his well. uh, he had put like a, a rocket on his car in his car or something. Yeah, yeah. So interesting, interesting story. Definitely very entertaining. Have you watched the Netflix documentary? I watched the first half of it before being interrupted, but yes, I, I saw How's the that? first half. Uh, it was okay. That yeah, I couple problems, and it had nothing to do with the story itself. Jeremy Corbell, is that his name? The the director yeah, of the. Yeah, I believe so. He he puts himself in there. He kind of makes the story about himself. He he's very mm. he's very team Jeremy Corbell, and I don't know. That's his thing. I there was too much of him. There was also too much of him on the podcast itself. I don't really care about him, but I don't mean that in a negative way. I just that's not the story I'm interested in. And then having Mickey Rourke do the the narration. I love Mickey Rourke great actor kind of an interesting dude outside of film but i don't know it's kind of cheesy some of the some of the narration that was going on it was very philosophical and just kind of i don't know cliche but the story Mm -hmm. itself is it's fascinating to me just because i don't know i think that's one of the big questions we have is are we alone so it's the, the documentary watch it if you want i i wouldn't tell you not to watch it it's interesting for sure um yeah i'm just fascinated by it the the whole thing and it's taken up way more of my time in the last month than it should have but maybe it's true maybe and it is fascinating i think it's anything like that any sort of conspiracy theory any sort of you know, a uh, topic that covers things that are unknown, things that we don't really have answers for or to. Uh, they, they're just fascinating and they're enthralling, especially when somebody tells a, a pretty good story and seems to have their ducks in a row, as Lazard does. If he's lying, it's, it's an incredible, one of the greatest farces of all time because he's dedicated to it and he's, like you said, ducks in a row. I mean, and a lot of the stuff he said has come out to be true. Even if he's telling 25% of the truth, it's still an unbelievable story, in my opinion. Definitely. And, it, and one thing that can't be disputed is that Bob Lazar is an, an intelligent individual. I think he's so. He's smart. Yep. Very articulate. Um, so so he's either smart and uh, just a psychopathic liar or just smart and some shit happened to him and maybe he misinterpreted it or he's interpreted it perfectly and we just don't believe it because it's so um, spectacular so if crazy just kind of picking apart his story if there are 11 alien spacecraft in our possession and we're not releasing that technology is there a reason why we're not releasing that technology to the world why are we why are we trying to keep this under wraps when it seems like some of this technology could be beneficial to the Amer- to the human race if it's true well i think just from a perspective of the united states government you wouldn't want to release the technology to the world so that way you would have an inherent 
advantage over other governments. Uh, but we're not using it then, ourselves, are we? Well, I mean, you don't want anybody else to be able to uh, synthesize some sort of technology mm-hmm. from from these crafts that you weren't able to get, and then they okay. have something that you don't. If they were able they to... advantage re- over you, mm-hmm. yeah. Reverse like you don't want somebody else to develop IT or uh, AI before um, you you develop it because then you're going to be at an inherent disadvantage uh, to that country. And then, in addition to that, you can get all you can go all all sorts of different directions that you want. the The undermining of organized religion and having people question Christianity and the destabilization of society because of that. Mm. Mm. All the, all that sort of. You think that, that disrupts sort of the American way of life? Oh, definitely. And I think yeah. Christianity is one of the key factors in influencing poor Americans to be complacent with their station in life. That's a hell of a statement, right there. It, you'd you'd have to have a pretty compelling argument to talk me out of it. The. Christianity preaches to you that your rewards are not here on earth, but in heaven. And as long as you do the things that you're supposed to do here on earth and be a good person and, you know, go to church and do all that stuff, then, um, you know, it doesn't matter if your life here on earth is shit and then you're being taken advantage of by your employers and your government and the people surrounding you, uh, your reward will be eternal. And it will be much greater than anything that you possibly could have achieved here on Earth. So why would you, why would you worry about those earthly things? Uh, focus on on heaven and and building your treasures in heaven. Uh, Are you telling me Joel Osteen is lying to me? Hundred percent. One one hundred percent. Joel Osteen does not believe in Christianity. He huh. doesn't. Uh, if Joel Osteen read the Bible and really studied it to the extent that he has to for his job, then he is either so mentally deranged and damaged that he's twisted around to make his lifestyle um, acceptable in the eyes of Christ, or he is just using it for evil purposes. And I tend to believe the latter so his $21 million dollar mansion isn't part of the game plan? Yeah. Well, you know, you read it is harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Um, he kind of got that one screwed up. <laughs> it just doesn't, doesn't add up. Doesn't add up. So Bob Lazar... Uh, yeah, unless you want to talk about Christianity some more, because I could. Yeah, I know you could. You're always down for a good, good Christ talk. <laughs> yeah, I'm always especially down on the for Lord's it. Day. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Sure is. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There How appropriate. Yeah, go. How appropriate. So, where are you on Bob Lazar, uh, percentage-wise? What do you think? I haven't finished the podcast. I need to finish the podcast, and then I'll be. Well, what do you need to know? I'll tell you everything you need to know. I'll speak for him. Um. So I missed what happened to him leaving S4. What? Why? What? What series of events happened that he left S4? Maybe I shouldn't speak for him. Uh, I, I mean, did did he come? Yeah, 
shoot i spoke too soon because <laughs> he came out to the the lost george knapp the las vegas famous las vegas journalist while he mm-hmm. was still there if i'm not mistaken oh okay and that's probably what i think that essentially terminated his stay at s4 well, you know, if you were witnessing these things and you couldn't keep it any longer and had to come out with it, I I could maybe see that. He had also gotten caught doing because th- he had, according to him, he had the flight schedule for these test flights. Oh they, yeah, they and were he on took Wednesday people out nights. in the desert. Yeah, yeah, and he got a little over ambitious with getting a little too close to the to the flights, uh, infiltrating land he wasn't supposed to be on, and was strongly recommended to stop doing that there you go there you go that is i could see it i well i guess he doesn't have all the answers because they compartmentalize that information and what a great idea by them by the way if this is true well, it is true. I mean, I can just speak from my experience. Uh, the compartmentalizing of information? Yes. They they don't... Just because you have a certain level of security clearance doesn't mean you just have carte blanche access to whatever information you want to know. That, that security clearance only allows you to... So if it's, you know, classified, secret, top secret, or above... Um, you are let's say you have a top secret clearance you are only allowed to have access to top secret clearance that specifically has to do with your job and what you're doing see i didn't even know that part top yeah just because you have top secret clearance doesn't mean you just there's some top secret clearance database you enter your user id and password and then you can just look up whatever top secret shit you want to know that's not how it works that's what i would do but that's probably why they compartmentalize everything (laughs) Definitely, because if you're trying to keep a secret, it's better, but then also it just prevents somebody from... People are imperfect. They're going to leak information. They're going to say things to certain people. They're going to leave information somewhere where it shouldn't be. They're going to allow people to have access to their login information, whatever, their cat card, blah, 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 so on and so forth. So just minimizing the amount of occurrences and the um, the overall access to that information is going to prevent those from happening. So who does know everything? It can't be the president. No one. No one. No, 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 no one. It's just a circle I mean, of... I mean, it, it might even be like... You know, you'd have to get all conspiratorial. I think so. Like, oh, some, so, somebody does know some everything. No, I... <sighs> So Chernobyl, mm-hmm. you know, the KGB, you know KGB, we're all, yeah, we're all exactly. watching each other. Dude, that was one of the most powerful <laughs> scenes in the entire series. The, the, the way the KGB works, the Russian CIA, if you will, Soviet CIA, if you will, is that, yeah, like that, even the, the head of the KGB has people following them. It's just a system of checks and balances, which is uh, actually in a weird way, a great way of doing it mm-hmm. in a scary way. Yeah, just like that, just like that. So, you know, everybody has access only to certain pieces, blah, 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 blah. It's interesting. You know, one of the, if there is no um, higher power who, once I die, I'm going to, here's the only regret I have. I don't believe in a a God, per se. 
Um, I, I don't even necessarily believe that anything happens after death. But one of the biggest regrets, one of the things that I feel like I will miss out on the most if there is no afterlife, is if there is no higher power who I am going to be able to get answers from after I die, is just all these questions that I have. And, and not getting them answered, not knowing like what really goes on, what really happened, what really, um, how does society really work? That's the one thing that I am going to miss out on the most. But Do you think the decisions you're making today, tomorrow, yesterday have already been made for you? I mean, yes, in, in the way that free will works you know what i'm saying like have they already been made for me no but i believe that the like person the that i am yeah the genetic makeup that i have and the life events that have occurred leading up to this have put me in a position where i am going to make a certain decision when approached with a certain situation so they weren't necessarily made for me but i i have a limited um potential for decision making if you will yeah i get that i think that's fair and boring yeah just, <laughs> that's the way it is tommy <laughs> no magic jesus no magic jesus blood that purifies us all and allows us to worship god forever um just doesn't happen in my opinion i mean i could yeah. be wrong no it's all they are our opinions Yep. Some are just better than others. Yeah, that's the way the world works. <laughs> but yeah, fascinating. Fascinating. Bob Lazar, fascinating podcast. One of the better Rogan podcasts in a hot minute, in my opinion. Um, I couldn't stop watching. Yeah. And I don't say that often because, you know, those podcasts are pretty long and not all of them are <sighs> what fascinate me. But this one was like, all right, I got to watch the next clip, the next clip, the next clip. It was good. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Keeps you going. Yeah. Well, do you have any other uh, non-sports topics before we dive into the wide world of sports here? Let me check my agenda here. Now the rest of them are sports. Sorry. Um, what was that? Oh, I don't. Maybe I cut out. I said no. I'm good. Sports. Okay, sports to sports we go, and where where should we start? There's so much, so much it's juicy stuff. It's kind of a juicy time so, of year. It is. It's real juicy. Yeah. Um. Well, since well off podcast, I was asking Tommy uh, who was going to lose more, uh, the organizations he's part of that he now has to leave because he got a new job or the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we'll go to free agency in the NBA where a lot of big moves have been made. Uh, a lot of teams have lost or gained uh, several key players. What's been most fascinating to you? Well, to start, I maybe this is recency bias, but this to me feels like one of the craziest, most turbulent NBA free agencies we've ever seen. And maybe because I have very, very short term memory, but it seems like this, like I feel like every day there's just a blockbuster move going on since the start of NBA free agency. And the biggest, what was your question? The biggest 
shocked what, so far? What's or? been mo- yeah most exciting? Most, most exciting. Enthralling. Well, as yeah. a Laker fan, Anthony Davis coming to the Lakers would probably be the most exciting. Uh, I was was I surprised to see Kawhi go to the Clippers? I want to say yes, just because I I kind of almost hoped that he was going to stay in Toronto based off what he built what he had built there. But he's coming back home to Southern California. He's playing at Staples Center and not for the Lakers, and I think that's kind of the surprising part. And maybe he just doesn't want to play alongside LeBron, and a lot of people feel that way, so maybe that just he didn't want to take a back seat. So with that, I wish him the best. I think the Clippers have a nice organization. It'd be pretty fun to play in front of Steve Ballmer every night. They got a nice little club over there. And what else? What else is going on with that? Knicks missed out on everything, so good for them. Knicks being the Knicks, causing Stephen A. Smith a heart attack every single morning, which is always a pleasure to watch. Hmm. How about you? Any shockers for you? Surprises? Something that's exciting for you? I mean, the thing I was probably most surprised about was both Kyrie and KD ending up in Brooklyn. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you told me that was going to happen, I wouldn't have believed you. So that that's interesting that they decided not to go to MSG, the iconic um, sort of bigger team. But the and that's kind of been the story of free agency is they're going to the Low Brothers, you know. Yeah, it's a good point. Kawhi and Paul George going to the Clippers, uh, Kyrie and KD going to the the Brooklyn Nets. It, they're both viewed as kind of like the B teams in their respective cities, whereas the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Lakers are the A teams, the the big big market destinations that you want to go to. And the big markets did not land. Well, the, the Lakers kind of did, but you know didn't land everything they wanted, mm-hmm. which was interesting. And now you know we hear tell that Russell Westbrook is gearing up to leave OKC as well, probably. Um, you know, people are saying he could end up in Houston, possibly Miami. Uh, be interesting to see. Yes, and back to the the Brooklyn thing. It, I guess Kyrie was a big New Jersey Nets fan growing up. He's from New Jersey, not New Jersey anymore. Different team or a different different state altogether. I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. We'll see how the Kyrie and KD experiment works out. And KD's pretty much going to be out for this whole season, correct? That's true. Uh, an Achilles tear is one of the most serious injuries in sports. And there's no guarantee when he comes back that he'll be even 80% of the KD that we've seen in the past. And if you're KD and you only have 20% of what were already very thin calves, how much calf do you have left? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got a bone. You got a tib-fib. That's all you got. Yeah, very, very, very interesting. We'll see how it all plays out. For you, in your mind, who's your front runner to win the NBA title? Lake Show. Lake Show. Lake Show. Really? Lake show, the the New Orleans the new New Orleans Pelicans um, plus LeBron basically having Rondo, having Anthony Davis. It's just basically the Pelicans plus LeBron. It's a pretty good squad. It's not bad. Pretty good squad. It's not bad. It's not bad. The, I mean the Warriors have to have had the most difficult 
year coming up, right? Losing mm-hmm. practically everybody. Clay's going to be gone for half the year, if not more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's going to be tough. Definitely. The only question mark for me is, uh, for the Lakers, is the fact that they've had the Boogie Davis um, duo before, and it just didn't quite get them res- the results they wanted previously. Um, and Rondo is getting older and older and older. He's not getting younger, so is LeBron. I could see the Milwaukee Bucks being my front runner. Yeah, that's not a bad pick. And they, I, I mean, I thought they had had it this year, or at least to win the Eastern Conference. I mean, they were mm-hmm. they looked unstoppable there for a little bit. So that's that could absolutely play out. No question. Just another year of them being able to develop, getting that playoff experience. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could see them. I, I don't know yeah, the getting over the hump. Are, but uh, I could, I could see myself putting a little. I'm looking at the futures change right on now. Them. Six to one. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not, not bad. Bad. They're third at six to one. Yeah, I might take those odds. Yeah. Who's second then? It's. It's Clippers one. Warriors seven. To th- oh, Clippers uh, one. Seven to two odds. What's the lineup? Pat Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, um, Paul George. Who do they have at center? I'd have to look that up. So it's That's Clippers one, Lakers two. Anyway, that, that, three. <laughs> where are the Warriors in that mix? Fourth at 15 to one. Oh, that's not bad either. No, Sixers Beverly, are also. Landry Shamet, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Ivica Zubak. Interesting. They're front runners. Are they expected to land anybody else? That's I don't know. Strange to me, but anyway, Bucks. Bucks are the best value. Do it. One. You heard it here. First dish. Do it now. <laughs> First dish. Yeah. Um, Women's World Cup, USA, getting it done. USA. Uh, yeah, how much of the World Cup did you get a chance to watch? A decent amount. Yeah? A decent amount. Um, there is touch and go for the U.S. A couple different points. Um, had some close games, but able to pull through. Megan, is it Rapino or Rapino? Rapino. Rapino. Thank you for asking, Rapino. Okay. Yeah, I just I used to say rapid no, but I guess that changed somewhere along the line, yeah. or maybe she, it's always been that way, and people are just pronouncing it wrong. Who knows? But she had a heck of a World Cup. You know, we thought Alex Morgan was going to be the main star after that thirteen to nothing drubbing over Thailand and her four goal performance. Uh, kind of quiet, quiet World Cup for Morgan. Uh, provided one more goal, I think, to be tied with Marta for all time leader. Goal scored, mm. pretty sure. But uh, yeah, great performance by our women. Great performance by Megan Rapino, uh, in the face of all the media criticism. controversy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, criticism controversy that she was experiencing. A for kneeling during the national anthem and B not even for, kneeling. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, not even kneeling. Um, but then B also for her uh, comments when they asked her if she was going to attend the White House. I don't think she's going to attend the White House. Probably not. 
That's my hunch. I think. I bet you Vegas doesn't even have odds. There's no, no line on that at all. So good for her. Uh, she plays for the Seattle Rain as well. Local local gal up here in nice. the state of Washington. Uh, so good good for the U.S. women's team. Fantastic way to beat those third world countries. Um, is the Netherlands a third world country? No, Netherlands. England, but France, Thailand, Spain, Thailand. Thailand? Thailand, yeah. That All was, right, yeah. so so there are some first world countries, it's true, but none with yeah. the population that we have, except for China. China doesn't really do well in sports. Weird. Yeah. Certain sports, but... Gymnastics. Anyway. Diving. Yeah. We should make it more competitive. We should divide the U.S. up into four quadrants and have each of those quadrants field a team. That's my, those are my thoughts. Yeah, see what happens. Not in men's, obviously, because we we get crushed in men's soccer. But uh, you know, things like the Olympics, we should divide it up. You know, USA North, USA West, mm. USA East, USA South. That make it fun. Yeah, it would make it more competitive too. So, but anyway, good. On to more women doing big things in sports. I guess women. I mean, she's only 15, but uh, Corey Gauss? Gauff? What's her last name? Eh. Goff? Coco? I've just been Goff. saying Goff. Goff. I've just like Goff. Jared Goff, but spelled differently, but still Goff. Yeah. Yeah. Having a hell of a performance. Uh, 15 years old. Unbelievable. Upended, upended Venus Williams in the tournament. And I believe she's going up against Simona Halep in the quarterfinals. The number seventh-ranked women woman female tennis player in the world, and just for a fifteen-year-old, this is unheard of. It's insane. I, I don't, I don't think we've ever had anything like this in either the male or female side of tennis. It's one of the craziest stories in recent sports history. Definitely, and just she has, I think, gained more confidence from that Venus victory. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's made it all the difference, you know. And she's just, she's just performing at an incredibly high level, uh, even compared to just her performance in the last tournament she's played in. So, yeah, I was thinking, I was doing some math in my head, crunching the numbers. If she, in ten years, a ten-year veteran at Wimbledon will still only be twenty-five years old. I don't know. In my head, that blew my that blew my brain. That was crazy. Like what she's doing mm-hmm. at such a young age, defeating her idols on tennis's one of tennis's biggest stages. Good for her. Crazy. Crazy story. Just incredible and a feel good story. Um it'll be fun to watch. Fun to watch how she does from here on out. So yeah, I just I always get a little trepidatious when you know trying to hop on the hype train of young athletic mm-hmm. stars uh you know freddie adu didn't really pan out yeah you don't really hear too much about him anymore nope danny almonte didn't, didn't really pan out nope you know we've we've seen so many times where these 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 younger individuals these basically children uh 
step up in a, in a big way. And I guess the best example of somebody who was super young, had a lot of hype behind them, and actually delivered would be Bryce Harper. He's lived up to the hype, yeah. Definitely. And I think that's probably our best example. And LeBron. Probably will. LeBron, okay, yep. LeBron as well. Yeah, so there are a couple. I guess there are a couple. So I wish wish her the best and can't wait to see how the rest of this tournament goes and how the rest of her career goes. So fantastic. And from tennis, uh, do we have any non-fighting sports that you want to cover? Anything like that? No, I'm good. We can get into it. All right. Last night was UFC 239. Taking place in the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's headlined by John Jones, Tiago Santos, which we'll get into in just a moment. But we are going to start lower down on the card. And the first fight that I, really stuck out to me is Diego Sanchez versus Michael Chiesa. Uh, Michael Chiesa got a very dominant three-round decision over Diego Sanchez. Your thoughts? Did you see this fight, Tommy? No? Hello? Oh. Hello. Sorry, I lost Uh-oh. you. Tommy? Hello? Yeah, I'm oh, here. Cool. Sorry, I lost you for a second. Okay. No worries. And so the first fight that uh, caught my eye was Diego Sanchez versus Michael Chiesa. Did you see this fight? No. So full disclosure, I was on shift yesterday. I didn't get to see these fights live. I did see some of the highlights of them, so I won't be able to give you all of my normal awesome insight, but I can uh, I can just touch upon the, the highlights and the results. Perfect. So, uh, Diego Sanchez has left Mike Winklejohn and Greg's, Greg Jackson out there in Albuquerque, and he has um, decided to go under the tutelage of a strange individual uh, who is now his only cornerman. He only had one person in his corner during this fight, which is odd. You at least see three normally in the corner of a fighter. Uh, and Diego Sanchez... The, the direction his life, his career, and his health are headed in is troubling, to say the least. In interviews, Diego has seemed more erratic. Uh, you know, he's always been kind of an odd duck, but a little bit more erratic, kind of slurring his speech, kind of not as coherent in his thoughts. And the worry is that that has occurred because he has now taken the second most head strikes in UFC history, second only to BJ Penn, and people are worried that CT is starting to creep in to Diego Sanchez and not only affect his speech, his physicality, but his decision making as well in taking this unheralded, unknown uh, MMA trainer with no real previous experience or accolades to speak of and abandoning Jackson Winklejohn. Just a little troubling, to say the least. And then the the performance did not help that situation as he was dominating all three rounds against Michael Chiesa and really landed no strikes of significance on Michael Chiesa throughout the fight while absorbing many significant strikes from Chiesa. So sad. Uh, I hope... Diego Sanchez hangs it up after this. Unfortunately, I don't believe that's going to happen. I think we'll see him fight um, until the UFC tells him he can't anymore. Then he'll go to a smaller organization and fight there. Troubling. Uh, 
but a good win for Michael Chiesa. He's looked very good at 170 pounds, and I'm excited to see what he does in the division from there. On to the next fight I want to talk about, which is Jan Blahovich versus Luke Rockhold. Rockhold, a fixture at middleweight, the 185-pound division, stepping up to 205 for the first time, and uh, this did not work out so well for Luke Rockhold. Not in the slightest. Did you see the highlight on this? Yeah, that was one of the most brutal knockouts you'll see in MMA. Very difficult to watch. Extremely brutal, and this was a night of brutal knockouts, and in my opinion, late stoppages. Uh, A lot of unnecessary trauma. Yeah, and Rockhold Blahovich really set that off. Um, Blahovich landing, landing a very nice left hook, and the follow-up shots were just brutal when really the fight probably could have been called on the left hook alone. Not a good look for Luke Rockhold. Uh, Jan Blahovich is a good light heavyweight, but kind of just a middle-of-the-top-ten guy. Never had a title shot, just kind of been on the, the fringe of title contention, and getting beat by him does not bode well for the rest of Luke Rockholt's time at light heavyweight. I'm not really sure what his career holds for him other than being a middle-of-the-division sort of gatekeeper type of fighter. Yeah, and with that history of knockouts, I think this is his second broken jaw. Mm-hmm. Not, not really sure what else... He wants from the sport at this point. Maybe it's time for him to pursue that modeling career full time. Maybe uh, work into acting or something. I don't know. Yeah. It just I I I come from the viewpoint of a, I don't like seeing fighters take more damage than they need to. Right. And once they have kind of hit the pinnacle of their career, take a couple losses in a row take a couple of knockouts in a row it just to me that signals the end and uh so we'll see we'll see where he goes from here who knows people have came come back um and had late late career resurgences and that's not completely out of the cards for luke rockhold but I doubt before it. this fight did you think the the move up to 205 was a good idea i did because Tiago Santos had been a guy at 185 who had kind of been, you know, middling. He, he was in the top 15 very consistently. He'd win a majority of fights and lose the key ones. And then he moved up to 205 and he had, you know, great success. We saw Anthony Smith, another guy who was not really in the top of middleweight, move up to 205 and have great success. The difference between both of those guys and Luke Rockhold's are their are their chins and their durability Mm -hmm. and the one thing that does not help (laughs) in moving up weight classes is your chin and durability because the guys at light heavyweight have more body mass and hit harder Mm -hmm. and so if you already had a suspect chin moving up in weight class usually doesn't work out too well which luke rockhold did um being knocked out by michael bisping being knocked out by yoel romero um just you know he he had shown that he wasn't quite as durable as those other two guys whereas anthony smith and tiago santos um you know they've they've shown the ability to sustain um pretty significant strikes to the head uh so i thought it it was a good move initially yeah uh luke still has not shored up the 
holes in his game, the most prominent one being his boxing, his boxing defense, just not very good. And that was on full display here against Jan Blahovich. Whereas his kicks looked very good. He was landing some great kicks um, on Blahovich. He was even shooting in on some decent takedowns. But it was ultimately the boxing that uh, was his downfall. So. Next on the card was my most anticipated fight of the card. And that was against uh, Ben Funky Askren. Coming out to We Want the Funk, just a great walkout song against Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal. Game bread. Game bread. Can we call him the Cuban Diaz brother? Is that? I think that's a fair fair comparison. Yeah, a lot of similarities between those two. Mm -hmm. A lot of comparisons. And Jorge Masvidal, if you don't know, his fighting career began in backyards in Miami-Dade County, uh, fighting with Kimbo. Uh, in the backyards on those heavily uh, popularized YouTube videos. And since then, he has just fully embraced MMA in every aspect of it and has just continued to improve as his career has gone on. Ben Askren, a highly decorated amateur wrestler, uh, had kind of been out of the UFC for years, never got into the UFC because of a feud between him and Dana White, finally got his opportunity, got a questionable win, against Robbie Lawler in which the fight was called without Robbie tapping out or being choked unconscious and a fight in which Ben Askren sustained quite a brutal beating at the hands of Robbie Lawler but was able to get the win in the end. Not the case in this fight. No. Uh, (laughs) A lot of trash talk, a lot of animosity building up before this fight between these two fighters and it was all unleashed in a hellacious flying knee Jorge Masvidal delivering that knee in like two seconds um two seconds into the first round he followed it up with unnecessary brutal (laughs) follow-up strikes just brutal um horrific because Ben Askren was stiff as a board and just you know we haven't seen anybody die in the UFC but I was questioning it there for a second he didn't look good Yeah, in the post-fight presser, they were asking Masvidal why he did that and did he think that was wrong. And I kind of side with Masvidal. I mean, as bad as it sounds, but, like, you you got to fight until somebody takes you off of him. I mean, you don't know if that guy's going to come back or whatever. So, I I mean, obviously, you, you hate to see a fighter take that type of punishment, but I don't really – isn't that what the ref is there? Isn't that his responsibility? I agree entirely. I agree entirely, you know, and the ref, it is the ref's responsibility and he, uh, you know, did not and with, uphold his responsibility. Right, but also that, to the to the refs day. trying to help the ref out here a little bit. I mean, who could have anticipated that type of start to a fight and two, three seconds into it, have the, one of the fighters knocked out cold. But, I mean, that's what you're there to do. But yeah, I, I don't, nobody, I don't think anybody could have anticipated that quick. I, I, now we're starting to hear that Masvidal did want to perform that flying knee at some point in the fight. I don't know if anybody knew it was going to be the opener, but crazy. One of the craziest things you'll ever see in the UFC or MMA. Very impressive. Very crazy. Fastest knockout in UFC history at five seconds. It was honestly probably two seconds. Right. <laughs> Three seconds for the ref just... to react. Exactly. So 
impressive win by Jorge Masvidal after another impressive win over Darren Till in which he knocked him out. Mm-hmm. Um, just looking really good right now after his loss to Damian Maya, but even look good in the loss to Maya in the instances where Maya did not have his back. He was piecing him up, doing a lot of damage, and um, so you get a title shot now. Where he... I think you have to give the title shot to Colby Covington if he beats Tyron Woodley, but. Aside from that, I could see Jorge Masvidal having the best argument for a title shot at 170. Yeah. He's as exciting as they come, so that fight would definitely sell. Very exciting. Um, You know, does well in the build-up. Kind of stumbled over his words a little bit at the weigh-in, but definitely exciting fighter definitely somebody people will want to watch and who will get eyeballs on him from what he says in the build-up to the fight so absolutely i'd love to see it i still think kamaru would probably dominate that fight but still love to see it you think so So. i do think so and just because kamaru usman's wrestling is so much better than well, not not his straight wrestling is so much better than Ben Askren's, but his MMA wrestling is so much better than mm. Ben Askren's. Ben Askren doesn't really have any striking um, and does not blend his striking and his wrestling together. And so it is very obvious what Ben Askren is going to do mm. and how he is going to do it. Whereas Kamaru Usman, as you saw in the Woodley fight, was able to outstrike Tyron Woodley and blend his wrestling into it. And that's where I think he would give Jorge Masvidal trouble Mm. is in that blend of striking and wrestling and just athleticism size strength all those things but you know when jorge masvidal is doing things like this uh, it's unpredictable because all it takes is one you know all it takes is one shot to change the entire outcome of the fight yeah so incredible performance excited to see what's in the future for jorge masvidal and i hope that happens sooner rather than later because i believe he is 34 years old and uh getting up there in age Mm -hmm. so hopefully he gets into the top of the division and gets title shots sooner rather than later in the co-main event we had holly holm versus amanda nunez nunez coming off a huge win over cyborg santos and before this fight, people were already talking about her possibly being the greatest women's MMA fighter of all time. This fight only added to that talk as she KO'd Holly Holm round one with a brutal head kick. Another another stoppage that was followed up with unnecessary strikes, right. probably. The theme of the night. Um, the theme of the night. And Amanda Nunes just looked great. Just looked great throughout the entire fight. Um, dealt with the clinch game of Holly Homewell. Tossed her once in the in in the first round, and I mean, my question is, who is going to beat Amanda Nunes? And the answer is, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got to be well. First, nobody, but if anybody, would it be Cyborg? I would think so, but just the styles. Yeah. Amanda Nunez just is too fast for Cyborg, and Cyborg's strong. She's big. 
but Nunez is just way too explosive. The yeah. fast twitch versus you know kind of a slower, um, a slower strength in Cyborg. Yeah. So Nunez is awesome. She's fun to watch. She is. She's a great She's champion. Great. Yeah. Great champion. Um, wonderful personality. Yeah. Excellent technical skills and brutal finishes. All things which the bantamweight division has been searching for since uh, Ronda Rousey lost the title and Amanda Nunes is providing that in spades. So I think so. Uh, she's the she's the greatest for me. Female. She has to be right. Yeah, I think she's beat, her she's list beaten is Ronda Rousey. She's beaten Holly Holm. Beaten the best. She's beaten Cyborg Santos. Yeah. Game over. I I don't. Yeah, I don't think there's much of an argument there. Just incredible. No controversies. So we'll, nothing. No. Mm-mm. I mean, she had losses earlier in her career, but she has very obviously um, shored up her game since then, put those losses behind her, and improved as a fighter. And She just looks freaking great, yep. man. Agreed. Freaking great. She's ATT2, American Top Team, I think. Just something in the water. Yeah. Down there. <laughs> oh, are you speculating something. on something? Yeah, American top team. I follow their strength and conditioning coach on Instagram. Yeah, what's he like? Dar- Savage. Dar- Daru Strong. Um, I th- I believe he's got a lot of good knowledge. Yeah, a lot of good knowledge. Yeah. Let's check that also, out. So maybe on, maybe on performance enhancing drugs, hey, but uh, a lot of good knowledge. It's not illegal for him <laughs> to be on it. Exactly. It's not so. But yeah, two ATT fighters having just good nights in Jorge Masvidal and Amanda Nunes. So, fantastic. Uh, excited to see who they, you know, who they scrape out of the bottom of the barrel for uh, <laughs> Nunes. There's not much to throw next. left at her, the lioness. I know. Kind of running out. Who wants it? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody, Nobody wants that smoke. Nobody. Um... So in the main event, we had John Jones, Tiago Santos. John Jones at light heavyweight has just been extremely dominant, extremely impressive. Didn't look as great in his last fight against Anthony Smith. Some people say he fights the level of his opposition, and I can't really tell if that was the case in the fight last night. Tiago Santos looked very good in that fight, despite... Having a, an unfortunate knee injury later in that fight, I don't think the details of that knee injury have come out yet, but it was quite obvious that he his leg was compromised after throwing a kick. It just kind of gave out, for lack of a better word, and it, you could tell that his movement and his striking was affected by that from there on out. But looked great against Jones. Uh, troubled Jones with a lot of things, including his leg kicks and his ferocious striking just one of the things that i think john isn't quite used to that tiago santos did is john is used to people kind of like folding when he pressures them but santos whenever john would come into pressure him uh would respond with hellacious strikes that are that were just explosive and extremely powerful and that kind of made john a little wary of you know, pressing the action mm-hmm. once he felt he'd landed good strikes on Santos. But good fight overall, split decision. One of the judges actually ended up giving the fight to Santos. Yeah, what do you think of that? I don't, I'm not mad at it. Yeah. I, 
I I think Santos won the first and second round in my opinion, and there's an argument to be made that you could give him one of the later rounds. There's an argument to be made that you give John the second round. I was happy with whatever decision came out because it was that close of a fight, honestly, which probably means it should have been a draw. I was listening to Jones talk about the fight afterwards, and he was saying, and also before, he says he likes to defeat his opponents the way that their strengths are. So Gustafson Definitely. on their feet on the kickboxing, and then Santos also the kickboxing, striking on his feet. Do you think? I mean, I guess that's noble in a way. Is that the smartest thing to do? Is that something that he should really be like focusing on? Because it seems like if he had taken that fight to the ground last night, might have been easier. Might have been able to to end it and not have it go to the scorecard. Or if it did, be more unanimous. What are your thoughts on his approach towards that? And that strategy. I did find the lack of takedown attempts by John Jones a little perplexing in the fight last night, especially when I thought that was an area where he could have great success against Thiago Santos. But once you've reached John's level and you've had the amount of domination that he has had in his career, I could hear an argument that he needs to do that in order to stay motivated. That's that's a pure form of domination if you're just trying to stay interested <laughs> by taking the <laughs> I fight know. by like trying not necessarily putting yourself at a disadvantage but not putting yourself in an advantageous position, I guess. I agree, and it's like it's like if you're playing video games with your friend and your friend's not very good, uh, you <laughs> yeah. play with the worst possible the wor- team. Yeah, <laughs> you know if if you're playing Madden, you pu- you're you play the 2009 with the worst Lions. Yeah. Yeah, and you give him, you know, the best possible team in order to make it more entertaining. And and I could see that happening in this situation. In fact, I think, uh, what was that? Brett Favre's, what was that game on N64? Brett Favre's. um, N64, damn, that's back in the day. Yeah, but you could set the level of difficulty per player. Hmm. I don't know, that's a throwback I'm not familiar with. But anyway, so you could uh, set the level of difficulty based upon the player. So it was harder to complete certain passes. Mm. Um, you know, the running through gaps was a little bit more difficult. Your players weren't as, uh, as skilled. NFL Quarterback Club, mm. 98. That sounds somewhat yep. familiar. NFL quarterback club and Brett Favre was the chief uh, spokesperson for the game. But anyway, so you know it's good. So you could you could make it more even if two two people were of an equal skill. And I don't know, maybe John has to do that in order to stay <laughs> disciplined. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Like, I, I, it's all fun and games until you have to get helped out of the octagon. I guess. Yeah, which he wasn't really. I mean the leg, but yeah. I mean. I guess that's what he has to do in order to stay motivated, <laughs> you know? Maybe next fight he's going to be like, no kicks. I'm only throwing I'm going to fight with one arm behind my back. Yeah, so where do you think yeah. he goes from here? Are we going to get the DC trilogy? The winner well, of we have Stipe to wait on DC, DC yeah. too? I could maybe see that happening. Especially with light heavyweight looking how it looks and not really having the, the plethora of challengers 
I think they probably won't give um, Santos a rematch. You don't think so? I think they'd make him win one in between. Okay. Oh, so not right away at least. Yeah, they, I could see them doing a rematch down the road, but I think mm-hmm. they'd make him win one in between okay. these fights. And the light heavyweight division isn't necessarily, you know, bursting with young talent. There's Johnny Walker out there in space somewhere, uh, <laughs> but he needs a couple wins before he he's learned how to do the worm. title contention. Yeah, so probably, probably DC Stipe, but I've heard that this might be DC's last fight. We've heard that before. Stipe. Yeah, and then you know, even if DC Stipe, um, even if that fight happens, there's this little guy called Francis Ngannou, um, who would who would make Probably a great challenger for yeah. either either of those guys. So who knows? Maybe maybe they'll fight in the meantime. Francis Francis you, John, you think make so? It happen? Wow, Dude, I would Dude, love that'd that. Be insane. I would love that. Holy oh. cow! What would they fight at? Heavyweight. Heavyweight. What would Jones weigh? Like 225? That, that's a good question because, you know, he's tried to gain weight before, get a little bulkier, yeah. and that was a little de- detrimental to his fighting ability. So, I don't know. I don't Dude, know what he tried to weigh. that would be insane. It would be Why insane. Why not try to make that oh. fight happen? Oh. What is the UFC? John don't want that smoke. No, I mean, He know. talks like he does. Yeah. I mean, he could definitely take, I mean, not definitely, but. I would think he would be able to take Ngannou to the ground. I don't think he wants to strike with Ngannou. I don't think <laughs> anyone wants to strike with Ngannou. Just personally. Um, yeah, very interesting. Very oh, I hadn't even thought of that. I mean, you can make that a pay-per-view even if it wasn't a title fight. You know. Yeah, that's I just mean, a fun fight. It is. Both those guys are just Savages. entertaining to watch definitely savages and it would set you up uh to position the winner to fight daniel cormier's dpmio yeah so true very interesting um but i think that's it for ufc they've you know they laid out their upcoming pay-per-view schedule which has just some bangers coming up frankie edgar max holloway khabib nurmagomedov khabib nurmagomedov versus uh dustin poirier the diamond it's on my birthday mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think we're gonna be in canada oh yeah for that fight yeah nice. headed head out to canada that'll be fun uh, got some time off so we're gonna do that do orcas island on the way up and head out Ooh. to vancouver there you go um but yeah they've got some good fights coming up that will be interesting to see so Good, good stuff in the UFC. What else? Boxing. I mean, since since it's been a while since we last podcasted, been in minute. that time, we we have a new heavyweight champion. Um, definitely single handedly putting body positivity, you know, doing more for body positivity <laughs> than anybody has possibly done in the history of bo- the body positivity movement. Andy Ruiz knocked out Anthony Joshua. Um, just wanted to say that say those words put them out there in the universe so interesting uh they're trying to get the rematch together uh, and 
had been rumored for some time in December, but I've heard that they're having a hard time coming to terms on that rematch, so we'll see if that actually goes through. Deontay Wilder is fighting Luis Ortiz and then Tyson Fury after that, allegedly. So that's entertaining. Um, what else? Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman coming up later this month. Oh, yeah. That should that's be a good month? fight. Nice. Yeah, I think it's the 20th of July, oh, if perfect. I'm not mistaken. Um, Keith Thurman, currently an underdog. Throw some money on that for sure. Uh just because, I mean, I think Manny Pacquiao has a legitimate shot in this fight, but for him to be a favorite is kind of ridiculous, uh, considering Thurman is undefeated and against the level of opposition that he is undefeated against, and being the younger man just doesn't really make sense, but... People love Pacquiao. They do. Anything else you want to touch on? Feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, I think I'm good. Thank you for... Um, setting this up it's been a while absolutely uh, schedule has been absolutely. pretty crazy and i should have a lot more free time uh, in the near future so i apologize for being absent but i look forward to doing this more routinely in the future definitely no apologies needed yeah always good to have you back absolutely in the studio. it'll be even better to have you back in the state of washington and we may perhaps be able to do this face to face i'm excited I'm giddy about the upcoming month and beyond. Can't wait. Yeah. All right, Tommy. All right, man. Good. Absolutely. Have a good one, man. To to everybody listening, thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye.